Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we conclude our series in the Psalms. The series is entitled Worship in Technicolor. Worship in Technicolor. And what we've been teaching on is that the book of Psalms is really God's worship book. This is a a book that we go to to sing worship songs to the Lord. Most of the Psalms were written as songs. And so this morning, we're concluding this entire series with a sermon that's entitled, A Meaningful Life. A Meaningful Life. And we're going to preach that from Psalm 127. Psalm 127. Do you wrestle with meaning in your life? Do you find yourself... Sometimes waking up in the morning and saying, what's it all mean? What is all my work accomplishing? Well, you're not alone. Because the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes penned these words in Ecclesiastes 1.3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What does a man gain by all the toil by which he toils under the sun? What is he saying? He's saying all the work. I get up, I go to work. What does it really mean? What does it really mean? I have eight grandchildren. And watching them run around and live life together is better than anything in the world. It's more entertaining than the best comedy or drama or movie. And... uh, so we were honoring one of our grandchildren. Or, I mean, there's so many birthdays in our family. We just got a birthday every other day. And we always honor whoever's birthday it was. And so one of the grandchildren, we said, what do you like about him or her? And he says, I love it because we get to build Lego towers. You know the Lego towers? And uh, two of my grandchildren, I think, are going to be engineers because they love those Lego towers. One of them builds robots. All right, like Lego robots, and understands them. You know, he's explaining them to me. He's like eight, and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, but what I've noticed is two of them will start building Lego towers, and they'll big build them way up here. If you've got Ecclesiastes one three, that'd be great. We can show that. They'll build these Lego towers way up here, and invariably, what happens? One of them, he will remain unnamed but he's a lot like his abuelo, will come running by and I see the little gleam in his eye. And what does he do as he runs by? Bam, he kicks the Lego tower. Down comes the Lego tower, up goes the alarms, wailing, screamings, chasing the other one through the house, punching them in the head. I can't believe it! So when someone knocks your Lego tower over, how do you react? You've worked all your life for that job. And suddenly it's gone. You invested in that investment that was going to take you through to the end, and it crashes. You built that relationship that you thought would be there, and so you are going to grow old together, and it's gone. Could be a marriage, could be a friendship, could be in a church, could be your children. Suddenly, the Lego Tower, it was beautiful, and somebody runs by and kicks it and knocks it over. Your dream's gone. It's at that moment that like the writer of Ecclesiastes, 
you are asking this question. What does it man gain by all the toil? I worked and I worked and I worked and what? There it is lying on the ground. There's that Lego tower. What does it mean? How would you define a meaningful life? Would you define it by the number of accomplishments you've achieved? Maybe the degrees you've earned, the businesses you've built, the honors you've received? Would you define a meaningful life by the number of people you have helped or served? Do you define a meaningful life by the amount of resources you have, money, property, influence? Would you define a meaningful life in terms of the number of quality relationships that you have? Here's the bottom line. Is your life meaningful? See, we all want to live a meaningful life. God placed that desire in your DNA, in my DNA, at creation, when he gave us the creation mandate. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and exercise dominion over it under my rule for my glory. But we rebelled. We rebelled against his rule. And at that moment, we lost the sense of meaning. And we've been wandering ever since in this desert of meaningless and vanity. The result is that we find ourselves asking this question over and over and over. What does my toil, what does my life really mean? What gain is there? Am I just like the hamster that's just running on that wheel? We can get cynical. Some can get depressed. If you're like me, we just get mad. We just drive mad, right? You, you wonder if anybody asks this question, just, just look at the palmetto every morning on the way to work, okay? <laughs> you got people that are asking that question when they look in the mirror, and then they can't find the right answer, and they're pretty mad. However you deal with it, medicate it, whatever it is, that question runs around in my head and your head, but thanks be to God, he does not leave us there. He comes to redeem us, he comes to rescue us, and he comes to give us meaning in our lives. And that delivers us to Psalm 127. Let's read it together. You there? Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate." Psalm 127 is a wisdom psalm. In it, God gives us the wisdom to live a meaningful life. And the human author of Psalm 127 is none other than King Solomon. King Solomon wrote Psalm 127 during a time that he desperately needed wisdom. For God had just tasked him with building God's house, what is called the temple. Solomon was very aware 
that he needed wisdom, he needed resources that he did not have. And if God did not build this house, then all that Solomon would do would be in vain. He needed wisdom, not only to build God's house, the temple, but to care for and watch over God's people, God's city, Jerusalem. And beyond the immediate need that Solomon had in 900 BC for wisdom to build the temple, Solomon was a human being. He understood the struggle of humanity. As a matter of fact, Solomon is the one that penned these words you see on the screen in Ecclesiastes 1.3. After arising to be the most wealthy, most powerful man in all the world at that time, Solomon said, what's it all worth? What does man's toil gain? He understood this feeling of meaninglessness. Of hopelessness. He understood that the ultimate meaning in life came not from one's accomplishments, but from one's God, one's Savior, from God Himself. He starts this psalm with those words unless God builds the house, those who labor, starting with Solomon, labor in vain. And let me just say to build the house. In the original context, with the original author, Solomon, 900 B.C., to the original audience, Israel, that house meant the temple. Let me be clear about that. But don't you see that it relates to you? Because your house, if you're married and you have children, is your children. Unless God builds your house, you labor in vain. Parents, he is building your house. It's tough, isn't it? It's resources beyond what you have. But God is building your house. In Solomon's time, it was the temple. Solomon knew that apart from God's grace, anything he did to build the temple would fail. He understood that. And in reference to Ecclesiastes 1.3, Solomon writes in verse 2 of Psalm 127, It is is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. He's echoing these words right here. It's what you think when you rise up at 6 to get ready for work and jump on that expressway. God bless you if it does happen to be the Palmetto or 595 or the Turnpike, whatever it might be. You can have that thought. It's vain for me to rise up early. It's vain for me to go late to rest, right? You just plop into the bed at 11, 12 at night, exhausted. What are you thinking? It just starts all over again tomorrow. What's the meaning? It's vain for you to eat the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So let me ask you a question. Are you eating the bread of anxious toil today? Do you wrestle with this meaning in your life, fearing that what you have built is in vain? Tower after tower of those Lego towers have been knocked down. You're in your 50s, 60s. Does it seem you just can't catch a break? About the time you kind of get a little bit of momentum, boom, something happens. Something happens. A car breaks. A relationship breaks. Your health breaks. Your mind starts breaking. 
God's word of wisdom for you here is that he is building that house. He is blessing you. And that in Psalm 127, God is saying that a meaningful life is centered on the Lord in daily worship and dependence on him as the builder and sustainer of your life. God is the builder and sustainer of the lives of his people individually and corporately. In fact, that's the main point of this text. Worship God on the screen. Worship God as the builder and sustainer of his people. Worship God as the builder and sustainer of his people. Listen, Christian, he takes care of and builds your life individually, but it's bigger than that. It's just not about you, man. It's about us. He, he builds and sustains your life together with her life and his life and their life because he's building his people. And he says that he will give meaning to those people as they worship him and as he builds them together and sustains their life together for his glory and your good. Point one, worship God the builder. King Solomon faced a massive task that would take provision and wisdom beyond his resources and abilities. Because God had asked Solomon to build the temple, God's house. Remember that at that time in 900 BC, God lived in temporary quarters. I know God doesn't live in houses made by human hands. But God had decided in his mercy to have a place of meeting, what's called a tent of meeting or the tabernacle, where God would meet with man on earth. That's the house I'm talking about. And at the time of Solomon, it was simply a tent. In fact, there's a picture of it here. This was called the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. And it's where the Ark of the Covenant was. This represented God's presence with God's people. And all of the sacrifices were intended to allow God's people to meet with God. Now, back then, it was only one person once a year, the high priest by the blood who would go in and God would bless his people. But he was living in temporary quarters, if you understand. Literally, he's living in a tent on a hill in Jerusalem. And so King David, Solomon's father, had said, can I build you a permanent house? Of course, God put that in his heart. God said, well... You can't, but your son will. So Solomon was given the task of building this house of the Lord. And it was an enormous house. Here is a replica of what it might have looked like on the screen. Amazing. It's hard to picture that. Obviously, it does not exist today. There's one wall that remains in Jerusalem. But it was an enormous, enormous task. It was beautiful. It had huge stones and gold and silver. It was made to precise specifications. And right in the middle there was where the Ark of the Covenant was, the Holy of Holies, and God's house. And and Solomon knew, I can't build that in my own wisdom. So this house of the Lord, this house where God met meets with his people, met with his people back then, Solomon built. But, oh, friends, listen. Here's where this thing takes off. Okay, you ready? Where God meets with people today is no longer in a building in Jerusalem. It's in Jesus Christ. You understand that? And Jesus Christ said, I will build my house. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said that in Matthew 16, 18. 
when Peter confessed that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah promised by God. Jesus is the Son of David who would rule forever and ever and ever. And Peter said, yes, heaven and earth gave you that. And based upon that confession, Peter, as it says in Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, the confession that Christ is Lord, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's why I can tell you That God builds your life, friend, Christian, but not just your life, our lives together. You've got to get away from just it's all about me. It's about us. God builds our lives together. And he's promised to do that. Jesus promised that. So when we're tempted to think that our labor is in vain, when your lives are being shaken, when there's situations going on that you don't understand and you're looking for wisdom, I just want to tell you, God builds your life individually, but he does it as you're part of the church corporately. Jesus has promised that for his glory and your good. I can tell you that. And unless the Lord builds your life and builds this church and builds your home and builds your house, then all that you do is in vain. But because the Lord commits to build it, what you do is not in vain. Your labor's not in vain. I don't care how many broken Lego towers you have around you. I've got many. I've actually cleared little paths of broken Lego towers into my life. At, by the time you hit 61, and if your mouth is as, as loud and undisciplined as my, mine is, you have a lot of broken Lego towers. You help break some of them. I experienced some just recently. Sorry, kind of daydream there for a moment. <laughs> I experienced some recently when I went to a certain country. And as I flew into that country, I just thought of some, some bro- massive broken Lego towers. And I actually asked myself, was 16 years here? Was that in vain? And the Lord brought this scripture to my mind, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, on the screen. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. I don't care if that tower is down. I don't care if you've been wronged. I don't care if you've done the wrong. I don't care if you sinned like crazy last night. I don't care if you are totally confused and don't understand what's going on. Where are you leading me, God? This is what God says to you. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Because he's building. You get that? And if he wasn't, it would be in vain. I don't care how perfect your life looks. This is what Solomon teaches us in this wisdom psalm 127. This gives us hope. Your life, your labor, what you do, your hopes, your dreams, what you are building in your life, your home and your family and your friends at work and your neighborhoods here at Palm Vista is not in vain. So worship God who is the builder of your life. But he not only pr- promises to build your life, he promises to sustain your life. Point two, worship God the sustainer. Look at Verse 1b of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. This word watch 
helps us understand last week's message, this word watch or protect or guard. So what, so what Solomon is saying, unless the Lord builds this beautiful temple or your life or this church, we labor in vain. And unless the Lord sustains this city, the watchman looks in vain. Back then, the watchman was the one who walked along the wall of the city of Jerusalem at night to make sure to see if there's any enemies trying to come in and sneak in and destroy the city. And so what he's saying is, if God's not watching over the city, even the best watchman is watching in vain because it will go down. But if God is watching the city, if God is watching your life, then you cannot go down. Nothing can happen to you that God does not allow. Now I understand that begs some other questions. I got you, okay? But at least I can tell you this. Whatever's happening to you, no matter how much you don't like it or don't understand it, God is over it. And it's, he's doing it for his glory and your good ultimately. I can tell you that. That still doesn't make the tears any less real and the confusion any less confusing and the anger any less angry and the depression any less depressing. But oh, oh, saint, God is with you. Those tears are precious to him, okay? And your hope is that he's sustaining you. He's watching over you. Last week we said it this way. God has your back, Christian. God has your back. Okay. God never sleeps. God never slumbers. God is always with us. And so we worship him. And how do we worship him? Well, this is what verse 2 tells us. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. You worship God through hard work that is peaceful and not anxious. You see that in verse 2? Eating the bread of anxious toil. See, there's a difference between diligent work and anxious toil. The Bible is clear. Proverbs is clear. Solomon, the author of Proverbs, who's the author of Psalm 127, has already given us the wisdom. God rewards those who are diligent in their work. Absolutely, no doubt about it. So this is not an apologetic for laziness or sloth. But it is a word to those who labor with anxious toil. They eat the bread of anxious toil. You see, the sleep here is a sign of trusting God. Last week we we called it confidence in God from Psalm 121. It's It's a sign of worshiping God that having done all that I can do when I lay my head down on that pillow tonight, I lay down and I rest, I sleep, I trust God. I rest in him. See, a lack of sleep can be a sign of anxiety and unbelief that God is watching over my city, my house, this church, your family, and your home. I love this passage. I don't have it for you on the screen, but just listen to it. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 31, Jesus preaching. Listen to what he says. 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I think Jesus was thinking about Psalm 127 when he preached those words in, in Matthew 6. When he preached the Sermon on the Mount, he's preaching God's counsel. I believe he's preaching the application of Psalm 127. God knows what you need. So work hard in it. Study hard. Yes. But at night, when you lay your head down on the pillow, metaphorically speaking, sleep well. I think that's what it's teaching us here. As a matter of fact, this whole idea of sleeping as a matter of trust in God is best illustrated by our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember the example when he was with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee and a tremendous storm whipped up and he was sleeping in the bow of this little boat and they run up to him and they start shaking him and saying, wake up, do you not care that we are dying? Read with me what Jesus said to them on the screen. Matthew eight twenty six to 27. And he, Jesus, said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? I I would say this to you. If you are a person who's racked by worry, if you're the kind of person who's a very detailed thinker, And God has just given you the gift to kind of just see all the things that could go wrong. Actually, that's a gift. I wish I had that gift. I'm the guy that leaps and then he thinks. Oh, I charge up the hill and then I go, is this the right hill, eh? And and as I'm charging, did I bring my gun? Okay, but some of you stand in front of the hill for days and weeks and years. You're terrified by the hill. Because you're thinkers. You want, you want to make sure that you're, you got all the data? You, you, you're a, you analyze so much. See, this word's for you. God protect you. God will watch over you. And I got a clue for you. You can't see all the things that possibly can go wrong. And you can't plan for all the contingencies. There comes a time where you just trust him rather than driving yourself crazy with worry. That's all I'm saying. Go ahead and go to sleep tonight. Because he's watching the city. And even if you stayed up all night, eventually you're going to have to go to sleep. But you can't watch the city unless he's watching it. Isn't that great news? That's grace. That's trust in our Lord. And I, I, I mean this sincerely for some of you. You're racked by anxiety. I I want you to hear peace. He's got you. He's going to watch over you. Peace. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying. The end of this psalm speaks of our future. The end of the psalm, the last three verses, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. It speaks of God's ability to build your house 
Build the house of the Lord. Build the temple back then. Build the church now. Build your house individually. Build our house corporately. It's all of the above. It's not less than, but it's that and more. And he has ability to sustain, watch over, provide the food and the water and the drink and all that you need. And the sign of that is children. See, children are the reward of the Lord. Children are saying, we've got a future. Now that I have grandchildren, I kind of, I'm finally getting it at 61. Having lots of kids is a blast. It's horrifying. It's exhausting. It'll drive you crazy. But when you start getting to be a viejito like me, you realize, oh, this is the deal. This is, this is the creation mandate, isn't it? Children are a blessing of the Lord. Unlike what our culture would tell us. Oh, sure, they're expensive. Oh, sure, they'll keep you up at night. Oh, sure, you want to throw them out the second story window every once in a while. (laughs) Only the sons, not the daughters. But what a heritage. You understand that Solomon, the context here is a conflict. There's some sort of conflict going on where it says, uh, uh, those, uh, let's see, verse... uh, Four, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Verse five, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. There's some sort of hassle going on here. And so what he's saying is, right, you got a lot of kids. You're ready for the fight a little bit more than the one who has no kids, okay? I mean, that's that context. But I think there's a far greater context. Here's the context. Number one, may we never look at children as a hassle or a cost you know, God forbid, church, let's not have the world's mentality on that one, okay? But number two, this isn't just physical children. This includes, I believe, spiritual children. I believe that. I'm not allegorizing this, but I believe it it speaks of children. They're like arrows in the quiver, right? Children, whether disciples that are being launched into the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Children, like my children, it's such a blessing to see them grow up. They're making money. They're having children. They're populating the world. They're helping educate others. They're helping do this. They're they're, they're working hard. They're fighting. They're wrestling. They're, they're, They're being lights for Christ. Man, we're filling the earth with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Why? Because we're image bearers. Fallen. But as Christians, we reflect the glory of God. We do it imperfectly. I get that. But we do it. And in a dark world, even a little firefly brings some light. That's you and me. That's your kids. That's the vision for your kids. As they go off to college. Lord, make me a witness. I want to burn brightly like my parents burn brightly because I want to be that arrow fired straight for your glory because you're the Lord of all. Man, that's what gives life meaning. That's what changing the thousandth diaper suddenly gives a little bit of meaning or cleaning up the 400th spill or as someone happened in our church here, you know, the vomit that is spread all over the inside of your car. True story, actual story from this morning. Hi, how you doing? Great. Just cleaning up a little vomit in the car because one of our 42 children <laughs> had an upset stomach. But you understand that also speaks of the church, right? Do we have a vision for God to save many and to fill up this church with children that will cause big messes? Or are we comfortable with our little world, our little groups, 
We know everybody. We go deep, but don't change things. I, be, I did not plan to say that. I believe that's the Lord speaking to all of us. And I put a mirror right in front of me, starting with me. Because we can get comfortable, right? We've got our group. We're comfortable in this church. We know where we sit. In fact, when you guys change seats, it kind of disorients me, you know? <laughs> Wait a second. Anthony's here. He used to be two rows back. What's going on here? Is he sneaking up on me? <laughs> and he could do something to me if he got me, right? But you would protect me, right, Sergio? Yeah, sure. (laughs) But seriously, guys, what if God just started, you know, we just started having kids? Let's pray that way. For the glory of God, that his glory would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Amen. Well, what's the appeal in this message? It's to worship God as the builder and sustainer of his people. That's us, church. You worship God, how? By confessing that he is the only builder that counts. We build in vain unless the Lord builds. But because the Lord builds, our building is never in vain. No matter how many broken Lego towers, no matter what we see in the natural. Parent, your kids are listening. And I don't care where they are right now. They heard it when they were five. They heard it when they were ten. And the Bible says that we have a hope and a future. So hang in there. You worship God by sleeping. Some of you are saying amen. (laughs) I told you, Mom. (laughs) That's right, by sleeping. What I mean by this is not laziness, it's not sloth. But what God teaches us here in this text is that you labor and toil in peaceful confidence that God sustains you, God watches over you, you do not live an anxiety-filled life. Oh, friend, I, if you're living that, I, I know how difficult that is. Please hear God's comforting voice if you're racked by anxiety. Oh, friend, in Christ, you can live a, a life that rests in him, even in the midst of your tears and sadness. Confident that God sustains you, even in his sleep. By the way, that verse 1, excuse me, verse 2, For he gives to his beloved sleep. Actually, that can be interpreted two ways. He gives to his beloved sleep, i.e. he enables me to sleep. Or, and I think this is closer to what it means, he gives to his beloved in his sleep. While you're sleeping, you understand that God can do more tonight while you're sleeping than you can do in the next 150 years. You get that, right? See, that's that's what he's talking about. It's that faith that I do all I can. I work as hard as I can as if it were up to me, but then I'm praying and trusting because actually, ultimately, it's up to him. You ever heard that phrase, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition? Right? That was actually from World War II, Pearl Harbor. What does that mean? Praise the Lord, I trust him, but pass the ammunition. I'm working as hard as I can. But it's that trust piece that I think God wants to speak to some of you. So, we trust God. We worship him. He is building. Therefore, what we do is not in vain, and we rest in him. Let's pray. Worship team, would you please join me up front? Lord, thank you that it is you who builds. Therefore, 
our labor is not in vain. Thank you, it is you who watches and protects and sustains. Therefore, our vigilance is not manic or anxious. Lord, we trust you. Lord, you watch over us, even when we're sleeping, especially when we're sleeping. And you provide for us. Lord, thank you. May we never be so arrogant to think that I did this on my own. May we always be grateful that whatever obedience, whatever labor, whatever gifts I have, they've been given to me by you. As Paul would say, what do you have that you have not been given? And if you have been given it, why do you boast as if it came from you? May we be good stewards, Lord, as we trust you. For when you move, truly, our lives are changed. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing that song. When you move.